I started having hundreds of conversations on a monthly basis about the idea, asking people for advice, asking people what they thought about the idea, poking holes in the idea, and really trying to get my arms around what is it that we're trying to build? What is it that we're trying to do? emailed and called the first couple thousand people that signed up on our website, introduced myself, you know, said if they had any questions, I was available, and it was very, very high-touch. When I first started, I was an execution machine. I don't believe you. 99% of my time was, was focused on execution. Today, it's vision. Today, it's vision and it's management. I'm Jillian Hellman, and I'm the CEO of Realty Mogul. We are an online marketplace for commercial real estate investing. So we connect individual investors who are looking to get exposure to commercial real estate with commercial real estate investment opportunities. Investors can invest in apartment buildings, office buildings, shopping centers, self-storage facilities, and, and all different types of commercial real estate transactions directly online with us at realtymogul.com. And residential versus commercial, could you tell us the two differences when you're looking at like investing? Sure. When you think about residential real estate, you know, I tend to think about a home, going and buying my own home to either live in or, or to rent out. Anything that is more than four units is considered commercial real estate if it's, if it's multifamily. So a multifamily apartment building with more than four units is considered commercial real estate. Other types of commercial real estate are you know office buildings, self-storage facilities, shopping centers, industrial facilities, those types of commercial real estate as well. So basically, if I was interested in going to your company, I just go online and I can invest in a building? You can. You go online at realtymogul.com. You can sign up for free, so there's no obligation to sign up. And you can start browsing a variety of different types of commercial real estate investments. And, and we have two ways that investors can invest. If investors want to invest in a diversified pool of commercial real estate, we have what's called a real estate investment trust. And that really is just a variety of commercial real estate investments that are pooled together where you make one investment and you get exposure to all of those real estate investments. Alternatively, for accredited investors, they can pick and choose specific properties. So specific apartment building, specific office building, and really do a one-on-one -on -one investment. And so why would I do it if I was trying to get in the commercial real estate investing side? Why would I want to go through y'all versus maybe purchasing my own office building or industrial building? We're really built for the investor that wants to be passive. You know, if you're an investor who wants to go acquire your own office building or acquire your own shopping center, we're probably not the best fit for you. You're going to want to be actively acquiring real estate and actively managing that real estate. We are better fit for people who are time starved. They don't have the time to go out and buy that building. They may not have the expertise or the experience to go out and buy that building and manage that building. And we partner with professional real estate companies all over the country to really do the day-to-day -day work. One of our slogans internally is no tenants, no toilets, no trash. So none of our investors are going to get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning that the toilet's overflowing. You know, the investments on Realty Mogul are really meant to be passive. And so who are most of those clients that you're talking about? On the real estate side or on the investor side? Well, I guess both. I mean, if, if I wanted to go ahead and invest and went to your website, who are most? Who are those type of people who are doing that? Yes, we have a whole variety of investors. Some of our investors are real estate professionals themselves, whether they're real estate brokers or they've made investments in real estate historically. We have a lot of entrepreneurs investing with us. So entrepreneurs who have started small businesses and have some disposable cash and want to make investments in commercial real estate. Uh, we've got tech savvy people who are investing with us who love the fact that they can come online and invest in real estate in a really seamless digital user experience. We've got attorneys, we've got doctors, we've got dentists, all types of different people that are investing with us who really want 
exposure to underlying commercial real estate. And today, how many employees do you have? Could you tell us about the company, its size and amount of transactions that you've done? We have over 80 employees at the company. We've done just shy of $300 million in transactions. Um, it's about a billion dollars in real estate that we've been involved in financing. And we've got about 130,000 registered investors on our platform. If you don't mind, let's go ahead and take it back. Could you tell us when you graduated college, kind of how you got into this? Because it seems kind of niche to be in the commercial real estate field. Yeah, sure. So we started the company in 2013. My co-founder, Justin Hughes, and I were really interested in the intersection of financial services and technology. So Justin started out as our chief technology officer at the company. I, I was the CEO. And you know we wanted to leverage the internet and leverage technology to make commercial real estate investing more accessible to investors. I historically, after graduating university, I went into the wealth management business. And one of the things that I found in my wealth management career was that our wealthiest clients were real estate investors. And I thought that there had to be a better way to give more investors and more individuals around the country access to commercial real estate. So that was really the guiding principle in building the platform was, you know, we want to provide more access to commercial real estate to more investors. Right out of school, was it Union Bank that you were there? Yeah, I worked for Union Bank and Bank of Tokyo. And in Los Angeles? In Los Angeles. And then I was also seconded actually in Tokyo and I lived in Japan for a couple of months. You're doing that for, I guess, a few years. And I mean, a lot of people think, hey, that's a great idea. But how did you get some momentum to think that that would be a great idea? Yeah, you know, starting any business and, and entrepreneurship in general is all about hustle. So you've got an idea and then how do you make it a reality? Um, I started having hundreds of conversations on a monthly basis about the idea, asking people for advice, asking people what they thought about the idea, poking holes in the idea, and really trying to get my arms around what is it that we're trying to build? What is it that we're trying to do? What would you be asking them? You know, what do you think about this idea? Would you be interested in investing? What might you be interested in investing? Are you more interested in multifamily or retail shopping centers? How did you explain the idea to them? Very similar to the way that we explain the idea today. You know, a lot of startups will go through what are called pivots, which are where they're changing the idea or they're updating the business model. And, and we really have not gone through a pivot. You know, we've been around for five years now and, and the concept has always been very much the same. We're an online marketplace where you can go online and invest in commercial real estate. Pitching, you know, the, the same idea, but just at the time, we didn't have a track record and, and we hadn't started a business yet. So, I mean, back in school, how did you meet with Justin and figure out how you could actually get this from paper to online? You know, we started building out the digital product. So, you know, we had kind of rough sketches of a, of a business plan and we said, What's the experience that we need to build for investors to be able to invest online, right? We knew that we wanted investors to be able to browse investments. We knew that we wanted investors to be able to fund their transactions online, sign their legal documentation online. We really wanted to make the process seamless. So that's what we sought out to build for the, the first user experience. Did you know Justin from, because it was it just the two of y'all? Can you tell how many people there are when you started? Yeah, so so Justin was my co-founder in the business, and I actually knew Justin from being a from being a child. Our parents used to be good friends growing up. Interestingly, his mother and my mother were both real estate agents, so we sort of grew up in real estate families. So I'd known his family almost my entire life, and you know knew that he was very sophisticated with technology. My background was more on the financial services side of the business, so we were a great partnership, kind of with complementary skill sets, his in technology and and mine in financial services. Uh, where'd you grow up? Grew up just outside of Los. Because a lot of people might think about doing a, maybe a portal or putting something together similar like this, but how do you take it from step one to step two to step three?
three. And how did you get money in order to be able to do this? Yeah, so we, we knew that we needed to be a well-capitalized company. We were going to go out and ask investors to invest in projects with us. We wanted to make sure that, you know, we were going to be a company that, that was around. So we went out to raise our seed round. Uh, seed round is, is typically the first round of capital for a company to, to grow and to form itself. And so I started meeting with folks and asking if they were interested in investing in a company like ours. You know, I, I had over a hundred coffee meetings with these investors saying, hey, you know, are you an angel investor? Would you be interested in investing $25,000 in the company? And at the time, this was not investments in real estate. This was really invest company. So raised our first million dollars that way. And, and then really we were off to the races, right? We were able to hire a couple of developers. We were able to hire some real estate professionals to help us formalize the idea, to help us underwrite our first real estate transactions and get going. And were you doing that part-time while you're still working your old job? You know, I had quit my job by that point. You know, I always knew that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always knew that I wanted to be a CEO. So I'd been saving up money. I was in the banking world for, for just shy of five years. So I'd been saving up money when I was working in banking, knowing that I wanted to go off on my own, knowing that I wanted to go start a company and knowing that I probably wouldn't get paid very much, if anything, in the first couple of years of starting that company. As you're having these meetings with these people, what type of feedback were you getting? So you get all kinds of feedback when you're starting a company. You know, the people who love your idea and who connect with you, they're going to make an investment if they have, you know, capital and they make angel or, or seed investments. But there's other people who are total skeptics. I mean, I remember I had folks who said to me, this is never going to work. Individuals are never going to invest online. You know, you're too early for your time. You know, so there was a lot, a lot of skepticism. And it's funny, some of those angel investors have come back to me now and said, you know, you were the company that got away. You were the company that I should have invested in, but I, I just didn't have the, the vision and the foresight that you had. What was your biggest investor at the time? And can you tell us like, you, I guess you had never raised money before what the experience was like? Yeah, our biggest investor probably invested $100,000. We didn't have any, you know, big, big investors. It was kind of, you know, $50,000, $100,000 at a time. You know, the experience is, is building relationships. When you're raising money, you're getting into bed with these investors, right? I mean, I now have had these investors invest in the company for the last five years. I send them quarterly updates. I'm keeping them apprised of what's going on in the business, what's going on in the company. You know, they understand that it's a long-term investment. When you're making seed investments or angel investments, they tend to be very long-term, but you're building relationships with them. So for me, you know, raising capital is, is relationship building. Tell us about the next hire after you started getting these people, maybe your first year in business, like what that transition was, maybe that first three months, the first six months or so. Yeah. So we, we were hiring real estate folks. We were hiring operations folks. You know, we were hiring technology folks. But I think the most important thing is that the first 10 hires of a startup, you really want them all to be Swiss Army knives. You want people who can do a variety of different functions. So for example, you know, we had a front end developer who was also our designer. We had a back end engineer who was also designing, you know, product and, and was a product manager. Today, each of those functions is its own person. I've got a dedicated product manager. I've got a dedicated designer. I've got a dedicated front-end engineer. I've got dedicated back-end engineers. But in the early days, you really want folks who wear a lot of different hats. When did you have your first transaction that you could go ahead and bring on the platform? So we did our first transaction in April of 2013. And can you tell us more about it? I mean, how you're able to get people online because you're building basically a marketplace. Is that the idea? You know, the, the hardest part about a marketplace is that you've got two sides. And so it's almost like building two companies at once. It's very, very challenging to do. And then when you get momentum and you do it, you know, sky's the limit. And it's, it's really, really exciting. But, you know, still today, it's hard to keep the marketplace in balance. And, and in the early days, it definitely was. You know, we started with a $110,000 transaction. Today, we're funding, you know, transactions in the three, four, $5 million range. But when we started, it was $110,000. We've gotten some interesting publicity. So that had driven some folks to the website. 
I personally emailed and called the first couple thousand people that signed up on our website, introduced myself, you know, said if they had any questions, I was available. And it was very, very high touch in the beginning where we were really, you know, building relationships again. And albeit we were being introduced to these people through our website, we were still building relationships to build trust and confidence that we were a brand where people actually picked up the phone and you could talk about investments. What were you learning when you talked to those first thousand customers? You know, you learn a lot. You learn the, the profile of the folks who have an interest in commercial real estate. You learn why they're investing in commercial real estate. You know, I think holistically when, when folks are investing in passive investments like commercial real estate, they're doing it because they have some goal or some dream. Maybe they want to send their kid to college or maybe they want to retire earlier. Or maybe they want to take that trip to Hawaii. You know, it's never just about commercial real estate investing. It's about what do you want to do with that money? What are, what are your dreams? What are your goals? And how can we help you get closer to those goals? At some point, it seems like you might have to deal with the SEC if you're pulling together this money. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're a highly regulated company. We, uh, we operate through a broker dealer and then we also have investment advisor entities. So, you know, we're highly regulated. We work closely with the regulators and it's an important part of the business that we're building, right? We want to be regulated. We want investors to understand the risks of our investment. We don't want people investing with, you know, dinner table money. I mean, there's, there's real risk in commercial real estate investing. There's real reward potential as well, but we try and balance that risk reward. How did you get those confidence? I mean, it sounds like even though it might be a hurdle, you know, with the SEC, that might give the customers some confidence. What else gave them confidence if they're putting X amount of dollars into a transaction? Because it sounds like they'd be putting a lot of money on the platform. What gave our investors confidence? Not the investors, the the customers who are coming online to invest into the properties. Yeah, you know, I, I think that our early investors were sort of the cutting edge early adopters. They were the folks who were really comfortable with technology, really comfortable doing it themselves, comfortable with venture capital. And maybe they'd seen some of the announcements of venture capital that we'd raised and they knew that we had strong backers. Um, you know, that's changed a lot. We have a lot more investors today that are not necessarily super tech savvy or, you know, not necessarily early adopters. But, you know, five years down the road, they have a lot of comfort and a lot of confidence. And they've, you know, seen who we are as a company and how we behave as a company. So I think that it's changed over time, but you know, the early adopters were certainly tech-savvy folks. Today's episode is brought to you by Shinesty, makers of the world's funniest and most comfortable underwear for men. If you're like me, you know underwear sucks. The riding up, the bunching, the adjusting, it's something men have been dealing with since the caveman days. Luckily, I've found a solution. It's Shinesty's underwear. It's designed with a hammock that holds your boys in place throughout the day. As an added bonus, their underwear is made of the softest fabrics on the planet. So try out a pair of Shinesty underwear today and receive 20% off using the code Millionaire Interviews. Now, back to the show. Oh yeah, one more thing. If you want to find out a little bit more about Shinesty and how they got started, then check out episode 52, where I interviewed one of the founders. How about the other customers? How much are they putting in? Like even that first transaction, how much are they putting on your platform? So our average accredited investor, which is an investor with a net worth above a million dollars or an annual income above $200,000, is typically putting about $90,000 on the platform. And that's usually across three transactions. So they're investing in you know three different transactions and investing uh, about $30,000 per transaction or $90,000 in aggregate. How has that changed over time? You know, over time, they invest more. As these investors get more liquidity or they see positive returns from investments, you know, we've seen them add to their investment. 
What's your work lifestyle like? I mean, from the beginning to now, can you talk about your transition? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the first three years of the business, I was 100, 100 to 120 hour weeks every single week. You can't sustain that for that long, or at least I found that I couldn't sustain it. What I work now is much more manageable. I'm probably a 65 to 75 hour work week, maybe, you know, some weeks in the, in the 80s or 90 hours. You know, the beauty is now I've got an amazing team. We've got an amazing real estate team. We've got an amazing technology team, an amazing marketing team, an amazing operations team, an amazing finance team. The 80 odd folks around the company, uh, I've got a lot of support and I've got some really, really smart people. Let's talk about when you're putting that much time in there. I mean, how, what gave you the confidence? I mean, what, what were you doing um, when you're putting that much time into the company? You know, in the early days of building a business, you're doing everything. You know, I was doing finance. I was doing marketing. I was doing operations. I was, you know, writing product specifications for our development team. I don't do most of those things anymore, right? I'm overseeing those functions, but I've got great executives that are really leading those verticals within the company. But in the early days, you're doing everything. I mean, I might be on a press phone call one hour and underwriting a commercial real estate transaction the next hour. So it, it's very, uh, a lot of variety in the early days. And then as you grow and scale as an organization, you know, my job today is largely a management role, it's making sure that my team has what they need to be successful. Um, it's spending a lot of time with our team to make sure that they're happy and they're motivated and they're incentivized properly to, you know, do good work and make quality investments. And, you know, also to help work with our board to make sure that, you know, we've got the support that we need at the board level and to make sure that investors are getting the confidence that they need from our company. Do you mind telling us how old you are? I'm 30. Because I've listened to you on an interview before and I'm like, she knows a lot. What drives you? What makes you want to succeed and put in that many hours? You know, I love learning. You know, I read a, a tremendous amount. I typically read a couple of books a week. Um, I, I would read more if I had the time, but somehow I managed to do that. And I read a ton on planes. I'm, I'm on a plane um, typically every week. So I, I kind of carve out that time for me to read and learn. But I love learning. I love learning from our team, right? I learn so much from so many people on our team that I get to interact with. And, and I'm really passionate about it. Right. I'm passionate about our mission here at Realty Mogul. You know, we've returned over $65 million back to investors. And that's something that's really, really exciting. That motivates me when we're, you know, making money for investors and we're helping people achieve their goals and achieve their, you know, financial goals and dreams. You know, not to say that there's not risk in real estate investing, there is, but that's really exciting and that's really motivating. And I think that I get really excited about building. I'm a builder. I like, I like building businesses. I like scaling businesses. Uh, and that gets me motivated. When you're on a plane so often, where are you going? What are you doing? I fly all over the country. We have satellite offices in New York and Utah and San Francisco and Atlanta. So I'm flying into those markets. Uh, I'm meeting with clients. I'm walking real estate properties. Try and stay really active in the business because I, I enjoy that. I enjoy still walking a real estate property and talking to one of the companies that we're working with on what's the business plan? What are, what are we going to do with this apartment building? Or what are we going to do with the shopping center? You know, what, what are the pros? What are the risks? What are the mitigants? And so I, I still, you know, stay very close to the real estate. I stay very close to our team. And then I'm always looking to build partnerships for the business, right? And thinking about our company, how can we do best by the investors that invest in commercial real estate with us, right? How can we expand and offer them new and different types of investment opportunities? How can we structure new types of investments that are diversified for them or, or otherwise help them deploy their capital? So working on all those things. It seems like there's not many women in the commercial real estate field. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I'd say there's, there's few women in commercial real estate and there's few women in tech. So I, I sort of go against the grain in both of those industries, right? And there's, I think, a lot more to be done to help women build successful futures in both technology and finance slash real estate. 
Have you found it difficult sometimes dealing with that? You know, I'm a big believer in just kind of putting my head down and going. I don't let it stop me. I, I don't really spend any time thinking about it, to be completely honest. You know, have I been at a disadvantage because I'm a woman? Yeah, I probably have, but I look at it as an opportunity, right? I've gotten the opportunity to hustle harder and make more connections and hear, you know, more people tell me no, which has given me more feedback to integrate and to evolving business model and evolving technology. You know, I, I would not say that I've been the uh, recipient of any sexual harassment or anything of that nature. So I haven't had that experience, but definitely had to out hustle and out execute. And that's part of being a CEO. I mean, I think male CEOs, female CEOs, they all have to do that. But I think you may, you may have to hustle a little harder as a female because you run into a lot of roadblocks, right? And you run into folks that have biases, you know, in real estate and in tech, where most folks are, are most accustomed to having a table full of men around the room. What does success look like for you? What does success look like for me? Success should be synonymous with happiness. For me, that's building a great company, right? And building great relationships with people. Um, not only people in my company, but also relationships with my family, personal relationships. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we, we only have one life to live. And the most important thing is relationships, right? I, I am sort of maniacally interested in helping others to grow. And I think that I do that on a daily basis at our company because we try and push people. We try and give people opportunities to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do and give people opportunities to have exposure to areas of the company that they may not otherwise have exposure to. So, you know, we've seen people at the company that have come in in one role that two years later in a totally different role in the business. And they've learned a ton and they've had the opportunity to grow. And that that's success to me, building relationships and it's helping other people grow. What do you do for fun? I love doing SoulCycle. I'm a big spinner. I enjoy that. It's kind of my, my 45 minutes of time when I don't have a cell phone attached to me. So that's nice. And I also love to travel. I traveled a, a lot throughout college and, and also post-college. And I, I love foreign travel. I spent a lot of time in China, spent a quite a bit of time in Europe, um, lived in Japan for a little while. And I, I really like cold Culture, really like cultural experiences and being forced out of my comfort zone to grow. Do you get to do that today? I don't get to do a ton of it. Most recently, I was in Morocco, so that was fun. I, I took a week and uh, ventured through Morocco and spent some time in the desert, but I, I don't spend a ton of time abroad these days, but uh, it's still an enjoyable thing for me when I get to do it. Were you looking for commercial real estate properties over there? I was not. To be perfectly honest, I was sandboarding down a sand dune in Morocco. There was no no commercial real estate deals happening. And can y'all actually do any commercial real estate deals outside the U.S.? You know, as an entrepreneur, you can do anything. We could do real estate deals outside of the United States, but right now we're really focused, right? We're really focused on the U.S. It's a huge market. You know, we think that there's still a lot of opportunity in the U.S. market. There's a lot of foreign capital that's clamoring to get into the market, and we're here. So we're not currently doing anything outside of the U.S. And what makes y'all different from, because you're a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust, but say if I had extra money and I wanted to just go put it in any other type of REIT on the stock market versus actually going through y'all. Yeah. So what's the difference between a publicly traded REIT and a pro at a public non-traded REIT? Yeah. yeah so I, I think there's a couple of things. One, our REIT is not traded. So it's not, you can't buy and sell it the way that you can buy and sell a stock. And one of the benefits there is that we're not going to have volatility the way that the stock market is going to have volatility. So one of the things that happens in publicly traded REITs is you might have an economic event or you might have you know a down day in the market and that REIT loses value, when in reality, the underlying value of that commercial real estate has not changed. So there's sort of this disconnect between the underlying real estate that is backing that REIT and the value of the REIT itself. On the flip side, in a publicly traded REIT, you have liquidity. In our REIT, you don't have liquidity. So you know, you're sort of balancing that. Now, there should be an illiquidity premium. So in finance, there's this concept of an illiquidity premium where if something is not liquid, you should get paid more for it, right? And, and that's really what we're looking to do with our returns. But you know, there's pros and there's cons of both. If you really need liquidity and you want 
the ability to sell that REIT tomorrow, you should be investing in a publicly traded REIT. If you're okay without having liquidity and you don't want to be subject to big moves or swings in the stock market, a public non-traded REIT is probably a better fit. I imagine there's certain platforms. I mean, and I know there are, and I've seen them before. And maybe that's why some of the people were saying it before. But it seems like there's been platforms like yours before that have tried to gain some market share and get some marketing, and but they couldn't make it work. Do you agree with that? You know, I don't know exactly what you know company you're you're thinking of, but you know this this business is a is a tough business, right? We're a highly regulated business. It costs a lot of money to build technology, even though you know there's a lot of cheap technologies today. Engineers are still very expensive. You know, we've raised forty five million dollars in venture capital to build our business. There's not a lot of entrepreneurs who can go out and do that. So being well capitalized has always been important to me because we're we're a serious business, right? We're a financial services business. We we transact through a broker dealer. We have investment advisors. So we need to make sure that we're well capitalized so that we write by our by our, our constituents, right? Our investors and, and the real estate companies that we work with. So it takes a lot of capital and it's expensive. And I think that, you know, it's a hard business to replicate. It's a hard business to get off the ground. It's a hard business to scale. But having done, you know, nearly 300 million in transactions, I think we're through a lot of that, right? And, and we're in a place where it's all about continuing to grow and continuing to do right by our investors. A lot of that early stage kind of risk that you see in every startup, I think has been mitigated. I mean, that much in capital, where's where's a lot of that money going like specifically? You know, our, our largest expense is human capital. I mean, that ranges from our real estate professionals who are underwriting every transaction. You know, we have boots on the ground on every real estate deal that we do. So we actually do a, an on-site site visit on every real estate deal that we do. Um, we've got a pretty decently sized product and technology team. So we're constantly building new features and new functionality into our website for our investors. Got fully built out accounting team and finance team so that we we can issue tax documents and, and all of those types of things. We've got an operations team. We've got a client service team that can take calls from our investors if they have questions. So, you know, we've, we've got a pretty big team and, and that team's expensive, but worth it, right? They're, they're the professionals who are behind our transactions and who are making things go on a day-to-day basis. Could you give us an example of the product technology, like what those guys are doing or maybe something that really helped your customer experience or helped how many customers that you were getting, what they've done? Sure. So, so I can give you two examples of, of things that our product team thought of and, and created and then that our tech team actually developed and, and that we pushed out into the market. So one is our dividend reinvestment plan. So when we launched our REIT, our real estate investment trust, when we first launched, you couldn't reinvest your dividends. So we were paying dividends every month, but you just had to take those, right? You couldn't actually say, I want them to compound and I want to reinvest them. So we launched a technology to be able to automatically reinvest your dividends. We also launched the ability to invest out of a self-directed IRA account. So we had a lot of investors who were saying, hey, I want to invest through a retirement account. We didn't have the feature and the functionality to be able to do that. So our product team took that away. Our technology team built it. And now you can invest out of a retirement account. Another example, we just redid our investor dashboard. So we got some feedback from investors that said, hey, I really want to see you know, how my transactions are performing on my dashboard. And I want to see when my dividends were reinvested and when I made my last investment and what my compounded return is and, and all that good stuff. And we had a, an initial version of that built out, but we recently launched a, a much more robust version of that investor dashboard. We're constantly deploying and developing new technology uh, so that we can meet our investors' needs. Were you going proactively? I know you said something about media helping. I mean, to find the people who have that type of net worth to put it into 
real commercial real estate online. Could you tell us how you're able to do that? First of all, our, our minimum investment in the REIT is a thousand dollars. So we're trying to make the the product accessible to you know nearly all investors. But you know the majority of our investors are investing more than that with us. Investors are a lot of times hanging out with other investors, right? So if we get an investor who invests, let's say a hundred thousand dollars on the platform. They might be talking to their friend at dinner Saturday night and say, hey, I just invested $100,000 for Realty Mogul. Friend says, hey, who's Realty Mogul? And you start to build these network effects. So I think that we did a really good job early on in our business of sort of being omnipresent. Um, I spoke at a couple hundred speaking engagements around the country the first couple of years in our business, and it was just to get the name out, right? Get the name out, get the word out, get buzz going. And I think that that served us really, really well. Can you tell us how you're able to do those events? We don't throw those events. So those are all, you know, events that are already happening and they need speakers, right? So folks would call on me and say, hey, would you be willing to come speak about real estate or would you be willing to come speak about entrepreneurship? And, you know, at first I was speaking at really, really small venues, right? 10, 20, 30 people. I've gone on to speak at venues with two, three, four thousand people. I think that building your speaker profile, same way that we built the company, you start small and then you scale and you grow into it. So do you think that's the number one thing that started? Sound like maybe word of mouth and then going to these type of events. Again, what type of events if you're doing hundreds of them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I used to speak at a lot of local real estate events. So, you know, kind of your local real estate meetup. I would speak at a lot of those. I was speaking at, you know, industry type conferences. So there was industry type conferences around financial technology or crowdfunding. I would speak at a lot of those industry events and then also just generic real estate events. What do you see as in the future for commercial real estate? And I mean, me personally, I've always wondered why there's not like a Quicken Loans type of commercial real estate portal. I know y'all invest in mortgages on the property, but that's not necessarily the same type of portal. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think commercial real estate is is a lot more complicated than residential. If you think about residential real estate, it's, it's much more of a widget, kind of a widget product. Commercial real estate, it's very dynamic. We employ a whole underwriting team because of how dynamic commercial real estate is. Every market functions differently. Every business plan functions differently. So it's just not as widget. E, if you will, is the residential market. Is that the reason that you don't think that a platform like that might work? We're building a lot of technology to help automate some of those functions and functionality. But I think at the end of the day with commercial real estate, you still need a human being to look at that transaction. You learn a lot by actually flying out to the property and stepping foot on the property. And that's that's core to our business. We're we're flying to the property and walking the property so you don't have to. Have you ever had any bad deals? We have had some deals that have challenges. Yeah, you know, in commercial real estate, you always have risks. You always have deals that have, have challenges. And we've got an asset management team to help work through those challenges, whether it's a, a property that's not performing as it's supposed to or a real estate company who gets in trouble. You know, that goes back to kind of passive versus active. We have a team that is actively working through that so our investors can stay passive. What's been the hardest obstacles? I mean, was there any moments that you thought you might not be able to get this venture going? You know, I think the hardest thing in the early days was just raising capital. When we raised capital, we, we didn't really have a business. We didn't have a website. You know, we had an idea and a concept and you got to make people believe in your vision. So I think that that, you know, that's always challenging because if you can't get capital, you can't get off the ground. And if you can't get off the ground, there's no business. And what, what gave you that belief in the beginning? You know, I think there's a lot of naivete, to be honest. Knowing what I know now, it's like unbelievable some of the hurdles that we went through. But when you're an entrepreneur, you just run through walls. So did you have any failures? You know, I think that our company is very much a success, you know, but we're still fighting for that success on a on a daily basis. You know, we're always trying to figure out how we can do better. Um, have we had, you know, micro failures along the way? Of course, right? Have we made decisions that were the wrong decisions? Of course, right? Have we hired people that weren't the right fit for the role? Of course, that, that's natural, I think, of any company. But I think holistically, you know, we, we've done an amazing job and we're going to continue to run and continue to build a great business. Oh, what are some 
some of those? Can you give a specific example of those micro failures and what you learned from them? Yeah, you know, I mean, one is is just hiring the wrong people for the job. There's been plenty of times when in the early days, I don't think we hired people who were entrepreneurial enough. Kind of going back to those first 10 hires, you have to have people who want to wear three or four hats. And sometimes people get very accustomed to only doing one thing. And if they're asked to do more than one thing, it's so far out of their comfort zone that it's really challenging for them. So I think, you know, hiring the right people for the right stage of the organization. We're in a very different stage of our organization today. Today, we're, we're really hiring specialists. When I hire an underwriter, I want someone who's going to spend 99% of their time underwriting. But in the earlier days, you know, we didn't want specialists. I wanted someone who could do product and technology and QA testing. Today, those are three totally different roles. So I think that knowing what stage you're at as, as a company and hiring the right people for the right stage is really critical. Any other micro failures? No, I think there's been adaptations of the business. You know, there's certainly been areas of our website that, you know, we deployed a feature or functionality that ended up not being the right feature of the functionality. So we had to go back to the drawing board. You know, we've had users tell us that they don't love that new piece of software that we develop. So we, we go back to the drawing board. You know, those things, those, those things just happen naturally. I wouldn't call them failures necessarily, but it's, you know, this concept and this culture of get feedback. Get your product out in the market and get feedback from investors on what you're doing well and, and maybe what you can improve upon. Can you tell us how you might have changed as a person from the first day that you started to now? Yeah, when I first started, I was an execution machine. I don't believe you. 99% of my time was was focused on execution. Today, it's vision. Today, it's vision and it's management. So I, I've had to totally change my style. I'm intentionally you know, not involved in a lot of the day-to-day -day decisions um, around the company because I want to empower my people. I want to empower our, our senior executives to make those decisions. I'm very involved in the real estate side. I sit on our investment committee. You know, I, I dig into the details of every commercial real estate transaction that we fund. So I, I'm, I, you know, have a high level of, of sort of detail there, but, you know, I'm not looking at every email that goes out to our investors. I'm not looking at, um, I'm not approving every hire that we hire, right? I used to do that until we were probably 50, 60 people. I, I used to interview every single new hire and I, I just can't do that anymore. You know, I've changed from really an execution role to more of a vision setting and management role. You were talking about raising your first million. Did you ever get close to running out of capital while you're trying to do this technology and expand all at the same time? Thankfully not. We've always been well capitalized as a company. And I, I think that's you know, that's really important. People are entrusting us with their hard-earned money. So it's it's critical that we stay well capitalized as a business. I'm just trying to look at, I mean, what, what have you been proudest of since you started? I think the thing I'm most proud of is specifically a couple of our team members that have just grown substantially. You know, I, there's examples around the company of folks who started in relatively junior roles and are now running really big aspects of our company. And I think that that's really, really exciting, right? That someone could come into our company and spend two or three or four years here really learning the company and learning different disciplines and, and growing. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm most proud of that because I want to be a company where people can learn. I mean, personal growth and education and learning is so critical to who I am fundamentally as a person. And I think that seeing that embodied in, in other folks around me who you know, not only have I helped to grow, but have really taken it upon themselves to grow, taken it upon themselves to read and to listen to podcasts and to watch TED Talks and, and really to push themselves to be a great leader or a great executive or a great, you know, marketing professional, whatever discipline it may be. I think I'm most proud of that because I've, I've changed people's lives. And it's not to say that they wouldn't do it on their own. I think that, you know, many of these people would, they're, they're self-starters, but I, I think that we've given them an environment within Realty Mogul where they can really shine and they can really succeed. 
and they can take on things that and get exposure to things that they otherwise wouldn't have exposure to. How do you give them that environment? You know, I, I think that part of it is the fact that we're merging technology and financial services. Most financial services professionals are not sitting in a room with a incredibly successful CTO. They're sitting in a room with product professionals or user experience professionals. Similarly, most, you know, technology developers are not sitting in the room with a chief investment officer or with a head of underwriting. So it's this sort of cross-pollination of disciplines that makes our company really special and I think allows people to grow outside of the ways that they would grow if they were in either traditional technology company or a traditional finance company. Do you have an example of someone that you've been able to see that personal growth? Maybe someone listening right now, they're two or three person business. They want to get motivate their assistant to want to grow more. How are you able to do that? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a specific example. I had a woman who started with us as our controller about maybe three years ago, went on to become our head of accounting, our VP of accounting, our SVP of accounting, and then went on to become our COO and take over probably 40% of the direct reports in our company. And that was all, you know, personal growth. That was her continuing to raise her hand and say, I'll take on that project. I'll take on that project. I'll sit in that meeting. I'll, you know, liaison between those two groups of the company. I'm a great communicator. I think you've got to be a phenomenal communicator to be able to grow, um, at that kind of speed and, and and really smart too. I mean, very, very smart, great communicator. She She's funny. She tries to go toe to toe with me with reading. So I finish a book and I drop it in her office. And then I finish a book and I drop it in her office and, and she actually reads them, right? I've had other people at the company say, hey, you know, give me books when you're done reading them and I'll give them a book. And then they never come back for, for another one. And, you know, that's okay. There's that, That's not always what people aspire to be. Some people, you know, are really, really happy in their current current role. And other people really have a thirst for learning and a hunger for learning. And I think there's a role for both of those type of people at our company. We're, we're perfectly fine with people having work-life balance. We don't require that everyone at the company works 60, 70 hour weeks. We're, we're big enough now where we want to encourage work-life balance, but there are those people who really want to grow their careers and that they're, they're at the time in their life where that's their priority. And I think that folks in my company really raise their hand and say, I'll take on that project. I'll take on that project. I'll stay late. I want to work with you on this project. You know, sky's the limit and they can do anything and it can be in a totally different vertical. I don't think our COO would tell you when she started here three years ago that she intended to be our COO, you know, running a huge piece of our organization. I think that she probably would have told you that she would have loved to be our CFO and grow into that over the next 10 years. But an opportunity came up that she was just fantastic at communication, which is critical to being a COO. So that's the role she's in today and, and really thriving in it and has grown into just an incredible, incredible executive. As far as personal growth, what's been your biggest personal growth? And for example, have you been part of masterminds or had a, a mentor or I know you've mentioned books? What's helped you the most? For me, personal growth is is the combination of being forced. So when we started out, it was my co-founder and I at the company, right? I didn't have to be a great manager. I didn't have to know how to structure and, and communicate to, you know, 80 people on a team. I didn't really have a board. So my, mine in a lot of ways was... I had to grow into the company, right? As the company was growing, I had to grow as, as an executive and as a leader. Part of that is through mentorship. Part of that, you know, as I mentioned, is through reading. I mean, I, I'm a, a better visual learner than I am an auditory learner. So I think part of it is figuring out how do you learn, right? Do you learn through verbal communication? Do you learn through written communication? For me, I'm better or I, I retain more when I read. So, you know, books has been a huge part of that. Building a network of CEOs is a huge part of that. So we do a speaker series at our company once a month. I actually just had a friend of mine who's a CEO come and speak today. And I've learned a tremendous amount from her, right? And we're in totally different verticals. She runs an ice cream company. I run a, you know, financial technology company in real estate, but we have, we've had a lot of the same challenges. So being able to have kind of a peer group of CEOs to learn from has also been a, a big part of how I've grown. 
What advice or lessons might you have for someone who's just starting out, might be struggling when starting their own company, or maybe they have a few employees and are trying to take it to the next level and eventually be as big as you? I think my advice would be out-hustle and out-execute because there's always going to be someone that's running faster. I mean, you look at the Elon Musk story. Elon Musk is putting in way more hours than anyone else. And that's not the only reason that he's successful. He's brilliant. So you got to have a good brain. But I think that, you know, if you're if you're smart and you, you probably are not going to start a company unless you're smart. I mean, you, it's really hard to get these things off the ground. So if you're smart, out-hustle and out-execute. Now, now, don't burn out. So there's kind of the corollary advice of that is don't burn out and it's hard not to burn out. So you got to figure out how do you de-stress, you know, make sure you exercise, make sure you eat healthy. But at the end of the day, if there's someone that's willing to work harder than you, like you got to out hustle and you got to out execute to be successful. So did you ever get burnt out? Yeah, certainly. Tell us how you realize that. You know, I, I don't, I don't work a hundred hour weeks anymore as a result of that. Uh, my health really suffered. I started paying a lot more attention to my health, paying a lot more attention to what I eat, paying a lot more attention to, you know, making sure that I was carving off time to exercise. And, and I think that's critical, right? To be a great leader, you have to be healthy. Do you get in at a certain time? Do you leave at a certain time to stay regimen? Every day is, is still pretty different for me. You know, I'm usually in the office about 8.30. If I'm in the office for the full day, I'm usually out of the office around 6.30 or 7. I usually have, you know, some type of dinner, whether it's a recruiting dinner or a board dinner or a dinner with employees or otherwise, you know, probably three or four times a week. Um, so I'm, I'm always on, right? I, I try and turn off one day on the weekend really to recharge and energize and, you know, go exercise and go to the farmer's market or spend time at the beach or whatever it might be. But, you know, the, the job of a CEO is you're on and you're on kind of, for me, six days a week, you know, 18, 19 hours a day. It doesn't mean I'm sitting in front of a computer, right? A lot of what I do is is on the phone or in person with folks or building relationships. But, you know, part of being a CEO is being on and that's the expectation. And ending here, do you have any last words of wisdom? And if anyone wanted to say thank you, what's the best way to, for them to reach you? Yeah, I mean, I think my last words of wisdom would be have fun. Pick something that you're passionate about. You know, it, it's hard and it's fun and it's exciting and it's challenging and it's, it's all of those things. So, so have fun. This is your life and, you know, a very wise man once told me to enjoy the journey and that news to, to follow me. So I, I think enjoy the journey. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at CEO at RealtyMobile.com. Great. Well, uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Sure thing. Thank you. So you enjoyed this episode, right? Yeah, I see you're shaking your head up and down. Well, the only way we can keep pumping out these awesome episodes is by increasing our download numbers. And how we do that is by making sure you and your friends are subscribed to the podcast. So if you have a minute, make sure in your podcast player that you have the subscribe button turned on for Millionaire Interviews. And if you know someone else who wants to listen to the podcast or think they might like it, we'd be more than happy for you to share it with them as well. So thanks again for tuning in and see you next episode.